Open your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to start this morning off with a question. What is your idea of a picture-perfect Christmas day? The reason I ask that is because I hope that Christmas 2018 literally is your best Christmas ever. And to get started, and maybe to help you pull it off, I want you to consider deeply the question again. What would it make, what would it look like, what would it take to make your perfect Christmas day? Now this one on the screen was one of our favorite Christmas days. It took place in a 36-foot travel trailer in Fredericksburg, Texas, the first Christmas that we were here in 2010. Um, times were a little tight. Times were a little bit tough in a lot of ways in those times. I'm not going to go into that. But uh, looking back now, it is one of our most perfect Christmas ever. Don't know about the picture, but I do know about that time of the year and what it meant to the sportsman family. So let me ask again, what would your perfect Christmas day look like? Just the right Christmas playlist in the background? It would have to include, I know, Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. Probably your favorite Christmas foods that would have to leave out the fruitcake, amen? Yeah, we've got not a lot of fruitcake lovers here. There would be enough snow to make it absolutely perfect white, but not enough to ruin your travel plans. There would be this just what you've always wanted Christmas gift under the tree, and surrounding you would be all of your favorite family members. And the not-so-favorite ones had other events they had to go to and just couldn't make it this year. We'd open presents, we'd eat great food, we'd play games, maybe watch a classic Christmas movie, but the day would be close to as picture-perfect as we could imagine. Well, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> and I hate to be Scrooge about it, but it's just not. Those of you who've participated in any number of Christmases, probably about 40 would do it, know that there can be as hopeful a picture of Christmas as you might have in your mind, but picture perfect, no way. No matter how much we plan or how much we try, something always seems to go wrong. And we've all experienced this, especially some of you who are overzealous owners and want to include your pets in the picture-perfect Christmas. <laughs> now, some pets like this guy don't mind it that much, but other pets like this one, <laughs> they do. Some of us would be thrilled to get any gift at all on Christmas, like this young lady. But then others of us never get any gift we ever like. We had one of those in our home. Something is going to go wrong on Christmas Day. A toy's going to break. Some part of the meal's going to get burned or forgotten. You know you bought the batteries, but they've been left at the store. Somebody's going to get sick. Somebody's going to be late. Somebody's going to drink too much. Someone's going to show up that just will suck the joy out of a day. Anybody here have a Cousin Eddie like we do? No? We'll own you one. <laughs> the sportsmen's have plenty. Isn't it true that the most wonderful time of the year can be the most stressful time of the year? And especially for some of you. 
because this is going to be the first Christmas since you lost your job. This will be the first Christmas since your mate or your son was deployed. It will be the first Christmas since the divorce, and it's your ex's turn to have the kids this year. And it will be the first Christmas since the doctor's difficult diagnosis. For some of you, it will be the first Christmas where there's a chair that's at the table and it's empty. Where in Christmas past it was filled by somebody you deeply, deeply loved and you missed. In the 1940s, a movie called Meet Me in St. Louis had Judy Garland singing a song to her younger sister. Her little sister was depressed at the prospect of having to move away at Christmas time. And so Judy sings, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, your troubles will be out of sight. That's a great sentiment. And I don't mean to be a Scrooge, but really? <laughs> if you just have a merry enough Christmas, if you have that picture-perfect Christmas, all your troubles will be out of sight. We know better. When do troubles ever recognize a holiday? They don't. Besides, those aren't even the original lyrics to the song. The original lyrics were these, have yourself a merry little Christmas, it may be your last, next year we may all be living in the past. Let's all gather and sing! <laughs> no wonder they changed it. So here's the truth. Life's a challenge, and expecting anything perfect only makes it harder. And who should know that better than anybody, than those of us gathered in this room? And others like us gathered in a lot of other rooms all over the world. And this is the second season of Christmas. Actually the third for this church where we stop in the second week of Advent and we remember peace has come, not perfection. At least not yet. Peace has come. We believe that the Christmas story is a fact, not a fantasy, and it was anything but perfect. Because <laughs> if you ask Mary and Joseph about their first Christmas, they would have laughed at the perfect picture of Christmas. As a matter of fact, they would tell you that almost nothing about the birth of their first child was picture perfect. You see, it involved an unplanned pregnancy, complete with all the scandal that went with it in their culture. It involved a rushed, if not hushed, wedding that probably didn't have any gifts brought to it. All completed with the ending of a pregnancy happening on the road in another town. And when they arrived at their destination, as Dustin mentioned a few moments ago, there was no place to stay. And don't you have to wonder if Mary ever said to Joseph, I thought you were in charge of reservations. Maybe that's why it was a silent night. I'm just guessing. And then when Mary had given birth and is worn out and is not exactly looking her best, all these unexpected guests show up. Not to mention some nut job of a king who is making death threats against your child, really? And to put a bow on all that, it means packing up and moving to a foreign country, living as immigrants in order to avoid him. None of those scenes seem to ever make it on a Christmas card, do they? Because those stories don't seem to sell very well at Christmas time. 
But it is the picture of an amazing, amazing truth. And it's this. Oh my, the links God will go to connect his life to yours. Amen? Second question. Have you ever received a gift that was more trouble than it's worth? <laughs> for those of you who have golfers that buy four for Christmas, can I tell you that one gift that's more trouble than it's worth is the putting buddy? I've had one in my lifetime and asked never to be given another one again. They're tough to use, actually, for a couple of purposes. Number one, it's hard to find a surface, really, to, to use them on. And number two, your wife really doesn't like it left out in the house. So get them a gift certificate to their favorite golf course because there just are some gifts that are more trouble than they're worth, and so they get sold pretty quickly in a garage sale or shoved into a closet and left there. A woman wrote in Reader's Digest a few years ago, and she said that she has an aunt that likes to knit and would typically make her her Christmas gifts. So she'd get a cap or a set of drink coasters or a blanket. But this last Christmas, she received a box from her aunt and just simply opened it up. And inside was this big old ball of yarn and two knitting needles and a note that said, Scarf. Some assembly required. <laughs> Some of us are familiar with this little dilemma. Because this Christmas season, you may find yourself opening a mess you don't know how to fix. Because the world isn't perfect. No, it was created perfect. But it wasn't God who messed it up. We did. The moment we decided that we make a better king in our heart than God does, a better sovereign in our heart that we know better, that we, we can figure out our way, thank you, on our own. And voila, it's the world that we have today. And heaven's response to an imperfect world was not to say, good luck with fixing that. You messed it up, now you clean it up. Thank God. No heaven's answer was to send the perfect gift as the perfect answer. And his name is Jesus. Emmanuel. Or an English God with us. We just finished John's gospel and heard him record Jesus saying, God so loved this world, even though it was a mess, even though it was so far removed from anything perfect, God so loved this world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Now why in the world would he do that? Because a broken world will never cause God to break his promises. That's why. Christmas is heaven's announcement that God is not going to give up on us, that God is not going to look at this mess that we've made of this world or even the mess that we've made of our lives and turn his back on any of it. He won't. He hasn't. God is not going to be so repulsed by any of our imperfections that he's going to abandon us. In fact, here's what Christmas says. That God's perfect plan to bring back perfect has been birthed. It's coming. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, a prophet predicted that it would. His name is Isaiah. William did a wonderful job of reading this text a few moments ago. For to us is born a child, and the government will be on his shoulders. Meaning hundreds of years before Jesus was born, prophets said someday a child is going to be in charge. I know it's shot, but he will be. Someday this child will rule the world. Someday the earth will be as he wants it to be, and this will be his name. 
Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this perfect son came to guarantee that the perfect world will come someday and that the way things are are not the way things are going to be. Someday. Someday we will not need funeral homes. Someday we will not need divorce courts. Someday we will not need oncologists or rehab centers. But until then, Christmas is offering us more than just hope for a perfect future. It's offering us a way to cope with a very imperfect present. You see, Jesus wants to give us a gift this Christmas. And it's a gift that we have always needed. And for some of us, it's a gift that deep down we know we've always really wanted. Dustin read the scripture a few moments ago without knowing it was going to be a part of my message. So I guess God wants to underscore this to us. Jesus made sure during a very unpeaceful time in his disciples' life to say this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I'm 57 and the older that I become, the more I realize that to live well in this world, the gift that all of us need can't be found under a tree. And it won't be found in a mall kiosk or at the department store. You can't order it from Amazon. And FedEx will not deliver it to your doorstep. Now the gift we need most is a kind of calm and a kind of resolve that allows us to be people we really want to be regardless of what's going on around us. Those storms Dustin talked about a few moments ago that tend to, to hit our boats at the most unexpected time. Jesus called that calm resolve peace. Now in his language, in Hebrew, it meant shalom. It meant wholeness. More so than just a stressless life, a whole life. Now for me, the word peace means just what I've been saying, a calm resolve. That translates best for me. But however you define this peace, Jesus says, I've come to give it to you. I don't know what you came into this service today or this church expecting, but this may shock you. He does not want you leaving without his peace. He doesn't. And here's why this gift is so necessary. Because the problems that we're going to have on the 24th of this month will still be there on the 26th, no matter how hard we try to make the 25th perfect. But the peace that Christ offers isn't going to go away. This is truly a supernatural peace. Love that Dustin used that word as well. It's not normal. It's not what we're used to. It's not what we're accustomed to when we think about peace. Jesus said as much earlier when he said, I'm not giving you a peace like the world gives. That can be momentary and flighty. No, this is a calm resolve that lasts, stays with you, doesn't just evaporate like the 25th is going to evaporate very quickly in our December. But he goes on to say also, it's a peace that passes all understanding. So, sorry, can't explain it. <laughs> and really, I'm not going to try to, but I can testify about it. 
I've experienced this peace in the midst of a divorce. I've experienced this peace in the midst of being unemployed while two girls were in college. I've experienced this peace in an accident that almost claimed my life and did put me in the hospital for about a month. I've experienced this peace when in moments similar to this one, I wasn't quite sure what was going to come out of my mouth. I've experienced peace in moments around tables that are in our church building in the back where we've done some serious high-level counseling. And I've experienced that same peace around dining tables that look nothing like those tables in those rooms and experienced the same high-level counseling where high stakes and high emotions were involved. And yet the peace of Christ was there in a way that's absolutely impossible to explain. Jesus is weeping over the city of Jerusalem because of his refusal to embrace this son of God, this child of the king that came to bring this peace. And on this particular occasion in Luke chapter 19 and verse 42, listen to the words that Jesus speaks. If only you knew, on this of all days, the things that lead to peace. Can I borrow Jesus' words and can I share them with you? If only you knew, on this day, the things that lead to peace. Now, they may have been hidden, the text goes on to say, from their eyes, but they're not going to be hidden from yours. Because you know the whole story. They didn't even know much of the first story or the beginning of the story. You know the whole story. Can you really leave here with peace that passes understanding? Oh, bet you. Yeah. Bet your life on it, you can. Please bet your life on it, you can. How? First of all, by confessing I'm not in control. Confessing that I'm not in control. Can I tell you something you probably already know? Life doesn't recognize your sovereignty. <laughs> Sorry. Life does not recognize that you're in control at all. No matter how hard you try to make people like you want them to be or the, the way you try to orchestrate circumstances into what you want them to be, life doesn't recognize your sovereignty. But here, however, is where you do have control. And it is incredibly significant. Are you ready? You get to control who or what will rule in your heart. You do. You get to control who or what will rule in your heart. That's your choice. Here's what God's word suggests. So let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the perfect gift of heaven, let God's perfect plan that he has birthed settle deep inside your heart and let it produce a peace that is out of this world, a calm resolve that doesn't go away when life won't cooperate with your agenda. Friend, you can do that. I've seen it happen hundreds of times, literally. You can trust that Jesus will forgive every sin in your life and remove every sin from your life. You can trust that his power from heaven will be sent into you into you, not just with you, but into you to heal and to strengthen and guide you as you live out his life and make your story his story. It happens every time an ordinary person says, I choose him as my Lord. And we take them back here to their own funeral and we bury them in his name and raise them in his name and put them in a brand new life they've never known. 
problem is not that our expectations are too high. The problem is that we put our expectations in the wrong place. So stop expecting your family to be perfect. Stop expecting perfection from your job. Stop expecting perfection from your mate. Please, stop expecting perfection from your friends or your parents or your elders. Please, stop expecting your health to be perfect. And maybe most of all, stop expecting yourself to be perfect. Come on, give yourself a break. God does. What God expects of me and what you expect of me isn't a thief of my peace. It's what I expect of me that is. Now what you can expect is that Jesus, who came, still comes. And his presence is a perfect gift that will sustain you no matter what the world is going on in your world. Because when you make the Christmas story your story, you stepped into a better story. Amen? And stories have a powerful way of changing us. Third question today. If I were to ask you what your favorite Christmas movie was, what would you say? Okay, I'm hearing quite a few. The Grinch. Chevy Chase, Christmas Vacation, gotcha. Sandra Bullock, While You Were Sleeping, gotcha. Probably the most famous, the one that I'm hearing the most, It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. It's a story of a man by the name of George Bailey, whose circumstances were anything but perfect, you know that. His business associates were anything but picture perfect. His house he lived in was anything but picture perfect. The role of George Bailey was paid by Jimmy Stewart. Now, Jimmy was a very popular actor in the 1940s. As a matter of fact, in 1942, he won his Oscar, his first one for Best Actor in a movie called The Philadelphia Story. And many of you are aware that during that time, our country was pulled into a war it really didn't want to walk into, World War II. And Jimmy Stewart wanted more than to be a convincing actor. He wanted to be a committed soldier. I didn't know that. And so he enlisted in the military. And the military wanted him to make promotional short films that would stir young men's hearts and get them to enlist into the military. But Mr. Stewart didn't want to act for his country. He wanted to protect his country. Which is why, at his own expense, he trained for a commercial pilot's license to tilt the odds in his favor so that he would be accepted into the Air Force. Now, after calling in a few favors, his desire actually was granted. And what many of you may not know is that Jimmy Stewart then spent 20 months stationed in Europe as a pilot. He flew many missions over the European continent, and it was both dangerous and difficult. Not just as a time in his life, but for those who were in his life. Anybody in combat knows battle plans are never picture perfect. And so he wrote that he had trouble sleeping. He lived off of ice cream and peanut butter for months because he couldn't keep anything else down. And in his time of the service, it not only became difficult because he was flying difficult and dangerous missions, but then he was asked to lead them, to lead a squadron of B-24 bombers. And so now he wasn't just flying into harm's way himself, he was sending men into harm's way. Many of them never came back. Two events that especially scarred him were first when 13 planes, you heard me, 13, were shot down under his command on one mission. 
and 130 of his young men didn't come home. And that meant writing dozens upon dozens of letters to moms and dads connected with those young men, saying your son's not coming back for Christmas. And then maybe the event that scarred him even more, it involved a particular mission that he was personally leading. They were attempting to destroy a munitions facility, and their instrument panel was shot, and it malfunctioned, and they dropped their payload on innocent French villagers. It devastated Jimmy knowing that they had killed many unsuspecting and blameless people. How do you ever recover from something like that? And when the war was over, it wasn't over for soldiers like Jimmy Stewart. They sent him to what was called the Flack Farm, but many called it the Quack Farm. We know now that he suffered from what's called post-traumatic stress disorder. And when he finally went home, his parents didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize their own son. His physical shape had changed so much as Herod grade. Now remember, when he left the States, he was one of Hollywood's most sought-after actors. Well, he didn't look like anybody's leading man when he came home. And it made him wonder if he would ever be cast for another film in his life when a man by the name of Frank Capra asked him to be a part of a Christmas story and that he would play the role of a man by the name of George Bailey. Most of you who have seen this picture recognize the desperate, broken man whose peace has been stolen. But not by his own actions. Remember, Uncle Billy was the one responsible for that angst that's on that face. Many believe that one of the reasons that Stewart's performance was so powerful was that he didn't have to stretch much to play this part. Because, you see, he was battling his own demons. He wasn't sleeping well. He would fly into fits of rage on the set and at one point scream to the cast, What is the point of making movies anyway when this world is the way that it is? And of all people to encourage Mr. Stewart at the time, it was a character that played Mr. Potter that took him aside and said, Have you ever thought that telling a story like this would do the world more good than all the bombs you ever dropped? And for Jimmy Stewart, that moment became a game changer in his life. And he began to ponder how he could tell a story about grace and a story about redemption and a story about hope. And so when you get to the end of the movie and he's shouting, Merry Christmas, Bedford Falls! You're looking into the face of George Bailey, yes, but you're also looking into the face of a man who's starting to heal and who's finding some peace in his life. That's the power of a story. And Christmas reminds us that we, church, are a part of the greatest story that has ever been told. Amen? And it's true. <laughs> That's a great story, but they, it's made up. It's fiction. This one's true. And it's a story of hope, and it's a story of grace, and it's a story of redemption, and it's a story that can heal us and can sustain us when our world is far from picture perfect. But it's a story you have a choice to be a part of. And it starts when you confess, I'm not in control, not my will, but thy will be done. And then the second thing you've got to move on to is not just confessing I'm not in control, but it's professing in Jesus I have all that 
I need. Holiday or no holiday. Paul pointed this out to the church at Philippi by saying, Do not be anxious about anything, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Last question. Do you think God battles anxiety? You suppose he ever wrings his hands and asks the angels for a tums, please? I don't think so. A problem is no more a challenge to God than a twig is to an elephant. It's because God enjoys perfect peace. Because he's perfectly powerful. And he offers peace to you. A peace that will guard your hearts and minds as you live in this perfectly powerful Jesus. Now I want you to notice Paul employs a military metaphor here. And don't miss that. The Philippians living in a garrison town were accustomed to see Romans maintaining their watch with their sentries. And so before any enemy could get inside, he had to pass through those guards. And God is saying, I want to offer you the same. I want to offer you my peace that will overshadow you and guard your hearts if you're interested. So if you're looking to experience a peace that's out of this world, if you're looking for a calm resolve that's beyond expectation, it rests in this one who came as a baby, but who didn't just stay a baby, but who lived a life in this world that, that could only be described as sinless. And then on purpose, walked to a cross, allowed himself to be crucified on it, so that he could offer you his sinlessness and take your sinfulness on him. And it killed him. It killed his relationship with God for a moment. But then God raised him three days later. You see, this story of a baby ends with the story of a Savior and a Lord who welcomes you to welcome his peace into your life. Now, you may have walked in here today the most self-centered, whiny, Jealous, envious, hard-hearted, ingrate in the entire room. But I want you to hear this. God still offers you to breathe his air. He still offers his sun to shine on you and his rain to fall on you. He still arranged for you to eat today and to, to travel today and to sleep today, probably warm. To be surrounded by people who care about you today. And you may not have thought any about all of that. And attached it to him and given him thanks for all that he's doing. But he's going to give it to you anyway. Hoping that along with those gifts you might hear about this gift of his son. And say, I want in on that. I want in on a peace that no agenda that's failed can ever destroy. We celebrate in these lights down below us. One last scripture from John. And that is, the light of the world has come. And the darkness has not and cannot overcome it. This is the third time in the history of this church that we've joined together with other believers around the world in the retelling of this story through lights. That we light as they unfold. The light of, of hope is where we started. Believing that we have the most incredible, 
undying hope in the world. And then today it moves to the light of peace. This peace that passes understanding, this calm resolve that can be ours no matter how the world is attacking us or coming against us. But I will leave with this last question. I said the last one was the last one, but this one really is the last one. Is Jesus ruling in that heart? This really is the last one. Is Jesus ruling in that heart? Let me say it again. Is Jesus ruling in that heart? You've been set up for this all morning long, had no idea what was going to be shared and some of the songs and what, what Dustin was going to share, but you've been set up because somebody in this room, God is asking, would you let me in this Christmas? Would you unwrap the gift of me? Please. Father, we end this lesson in the word of prayer, coming before you again as you ask, with thanksgiving, that you would send a gift that we so needed and some of us don't really want sometimes and certainly don't deserve, but has been the best gift for those of us who've received it and opened it and welcomed it and lived in it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming. Please, make, make yourself at home here in our hearts. And God, today, if you're stirring someone for the very first time to do that, would you nudge them to come this morning and to um, announce that, to announce their intentions and to pledge their allegiance to you today as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as the Prince of peace in their life. And if you've brought some brothers or sisters here today who really have been letting other things rule on those hearts. And they're ready to restore Jesus to that place and they need us to wrap our arms around them as they do so and to pray for strength and endurance and help to take these next steps with some family that loves them. Would you nudge them, Father, to find one of our elders around the room today as we sing this song of celebration about the great gift you've given us. We love you and thank you for being such a great giver. In Jesus' name and everyone said,